As they're going, just a reminder, these uh, little flower pots here are for our offering. No pressure, but just instead of coming and asking me afterwards, I'll just tell you right up front, uh, that's what they're for. Why are those flower pots there? If you have your Bible, open to the uh, book of Acts, chapter one. Welcome back. Uh, not only do I hope that you have a great coming year, but I hope you had a good time with family and friends. We've had our son and daughter-in-law and our youngest granddaughter with us for the last week. She was born just before Christmas last year. We saw her last year and then haven't seen her for a year. And so it was a delight that they've come. A lot of people make resolutions for a new year. Mine is continuing. My goal is to become more like Jesus. I hope that's your goal. That's the Holy Spirit's goal for you. He's actually working to conform us to the image of Christ. How, do you, how many of you know that things don't just happen with the passing of time? Wouldn't it be great? See, we, we, as we're young, my granddaughter takes two naps a day, sleeps 12 hours at night, eats uh, quite a bit, and is growing, <laughs> add, Tim says, isn't that normal? But see, even a child getting used to that will grow physically. And we sometimes think that just with the passing of time, we grow, but you take away the nourishment, you take away the sleep, you take away the, even the, the water, and time is not our friend. We get worse. Second law of thermodynamics tells us that things get worse, not better. If you don't know what that is, ask Josh afterwards. He'll tell you. So we can't approach life in the kingdom with passivity. Someone once was talking to me about a young person and they told me they had a huge potential. You know what potential means? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Because if you don't apply yourself, potential is still something out in the future somewhere. It does not exist. There has to be something that we do. Well, God creates opportunities for us to be new. There's something of us responding to him that transforms us. He doesn't make us something we're not. He makes us born again, but then he transforms us. I was talking to my kids in Denver a few months ago, just about what God was doing here as a church and people getting saved and baptisms and people being uh, set free in new life. And my daughter in the States, Joanne's her name, said, sounds like the book of Acts. And I went, yeah, it does. So I started reading Acts again. And unfortunately, when you're a teacher, preacher, that turns into a whole series. <laughs> so that's all we have, Acts chapter one. Lord, thank you for your grace, your presence, your spirit. 
Thank you that you're working with us to make us more like Jesus, and we want to respond with you. Amen. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of what all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering for, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Introduction there to Acts. Acts is written by Luke. How do we know that? It doesn't say it's written by Luke, but if you look at the beginning of Luke, it's also addressed to Theophilus. So this was the second volume of Luke's work. And so he's talking about what he had written before was all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So this is an extension of what Jesus began. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's not really the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the, acts, the continuing Acts of Jesus through the Apostles. Why do I say that? Because it doesn't include all the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Apostles, and we ignore nine of the 12 of them. And then where the story goes beyond what a certain Apostle was done, they're just dropped. You don't hear about Peter's life. This isn't about Peter. This is about the advancing of the kingdom. And where Peter has a role in it, he's, he's prevalent, pre- prevalent. And then it moves on, and then you get Paul. It's not a biography. It just drops them when the story moves on. So it's really a story of the continuing advancement and impact of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> That's what Jesus spoke to his apostles about after his resurrection, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's what he ended with. If you jump back to the end of Luke, chapter 24, which is up on the board faster than I can find it. In verse 47, he says, and repentance and remission of sins must be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So he's given this mandate for the kingdom to continue to be advanced, Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So there's something of this advancing of the kingdom. And in fact, if you look at the end of Acts, where it concludes, Acts 28, Okay, you're there, you're there quicker than I am. From verse 30, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his home rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things that concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. It just kind of ends. We don't hear about the rest of Paul's life. Paul's stuck in some house, his own rented house, while he's virtually in a house arrest, preaching what? The kingdom, it starts with Jesus talking about the kingdom. It ends with uh, Paul preaching the kingdom. Why am I saying that? Saying this, the kingdom of God is the key to all of Acts. Understanding the kingdom, grasping the kingdom of God is the 
key to understanding what Acts is about. It's not just a history. It's about the beginning of the advancement. Jesus came and taught about the kingdom. So let me review for you quickly the kingdom of God. Some of you think that's all I ever talk about. If you think it's all I ever talk about, it's all Jesus talked about. Luke 4, 43. But he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities. This is the beginning of his ministry. He was preaching the kingdom, Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease amongst the people. As we see, after his resurrection, what did he talk about with the, the uh, apostles? The kingdom, things per- pertaining to the kingdom. So Jesus' main message was the kingdom of God. In fact, there's 10 times as many scriptures about the kingdom of God as there is about salvation. There's 10 times as many scriptures about the kingdom of God as there is about salvation. Salvation is entrance to the kingdom. But once you get in there, what is it that we're living in? That's the thing that we struggle with. The Israelites were prepared with the whole concept of sacrifice and the entrance, the coming of the kingdom. But it was, what was that kingdom actually like? It was so different that that's the majority of what Jesus talked about. So let me say this. The story of the kingdom of God is really a story of kingdoms in conflict. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, who is called the ruler of this world. Okay? Colossians 1.13 talks about us being delivered from the power of darkness or the kingdom of darkness and conveyed or transferred into the kingdom of his son. So there's these two kingdoms. We're going to see that that's vital that we understand because this advancement of the kingdom of God is in the face of opposition. The devil's kingdom doesn't want to give up its territory. See, kingdom is literally the rule of God. Most of you all know this. I'm, re- I'm reminding you. Uh, the rule of God, the place where a king rules is his kingdom. We think geography, but the place where God rules is not geographic, it's within us. It's spiritual. The kingdom of God is within you. So it's not the city of Launceston by its geographical boundaries is the kingdom of God. It's your heart. It's people who are submitted to his rulership. You've got to understand that because we often think geography. Jesus is the ruler of the city. He's not the ruler of the city. He's the ruler of those who are submitted to his rulership Satan, by definition of what the Bible says, is the ruler of the city. And the advancement of the kingdom is extending the rule of God and taking away the rule of the enemy. See, but they're not just represented by different rulers, but by totally different values. That's why Jesus had to teach us about the kingdom. Kingdom of God is main value is love. But the kingdom of the world, of which Satan is the ruler, is main value is selfishness. 
See, love and selfishness are opposites. We often think love and hatred are opposites. It's not. Love is a choice for others' highest. Selfishness is a choice for my own highest. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It's your choices. But if you understand the world functions in selfishness, and when we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, something is transformed in our lives because of his grace, and we become loving rather than selfish. The problem is we have a habit of being selfish that we have to break. And many of us don't even see that that needs to be changed. So Jesus hence talked about the kingdom. How many of you have ever seen the uh, movie Wall Street, 1988, Gordon Gecko, Greed is Good. The epitome of selfishness of the world. It's all about me. Kingdom of God is about freedom. Kingdom of the world is about control. Now think about that. Everybody wants to control other people. You ever feel like people wanted to control you? That's just the epitome of how the world functions. But there's something about this kingdom that is a releasing of people into intimate relationship with Jesus that becomes the controlling factor, not other people. You're never given the authority to control other people in the kingdom. That's totally opposite of the world. But we've been raised in the world in this concept, and it takes so so long to break those habits and thinking being transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we think differently. And the problem is we still live in the world. And we still interact with people who think selfishly and controlling. Some of you are thinking of people right now. Your boss, maybe you're the boss, I hope you're not like that. One of the values of the kingdom is every single person Every individual is valuable. But the world, it's only the value of the few. If you're in control, you're valuable. If you have money, you're valuable. If you have some special ability, you're valuable. But everyone else, who cares about them? If selfishness is the, the driving factor and control is one of the values of the kingdom of the world and I'm valuable and nobody else is, then it justifies me abusing people to get their money or whatever they have so that I'm wealthy. We're going to talk a whole lot more about values of the kingdom at a later point in this series. How long is this series? I have no idea. It's it's going to be a while because we've only got through the first three verses of Acts. This is not going to be verse for verse, by the way. Uh, It's going to jump around because there's certain themes that continue. But uh, 
in light of that, let me just talk about entering the kingdom and what that means for us. You ever heard the expression preaching to the choir? The pastor's preaching. I'm preaching, almost all of you are saved, redeemed, you have relationship with God. But I want to help you understand something. Entering the kingdom is two parts. The first part is dealing with the separation problem. We're separate from God. Sin has made a separation. But the second part we'll get to in a, sec- in a second. Those of you who understand the Bible understand that Jesus' death was, was the whole dealing with the separation part. Okay? Why is that necessary? Let me tell you, because God is holy and sin can't exist in his presence long term. The Bible talks about God as a consuming fire, as an unapproachable light. There is a point where his glory will be revealed and sin will be consumed. And so sin makes a separation because sin will put us in the place where we will be consumed by the very holiness of God. God is not angry. He's loving. He recognizes the reality that sin will cause us to be destroyed and is doing everything he can to overcome that, short of making us robots. He's not angry. God doesn't get mad when you sin. He gets mad at sin, but he recognizes the result is a separation from him for the relationship that you were intended to have. God's not angry at you. If you have been taught that and if you think that, change it right now. And then Jesus' sacrifice was a new covenant. We've talked about that, those of you who've been around for a while. The new covenant. Under the old covenant, there was two goats. One was the scapegoat where they literally prayed and put sins on his head and he walked out. And the other one was a sacrifice for the covenant. Jesus was himself, both of those. He was the scapegoat. He who knew no sin became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin, he took our sin upon himself. He removed the, the problem that separated us from God. He didn't just overlook it. He didn't just say, ah, ah, pretend it didn't happen. He actually removes it. And then his death is a sacrifice. A covenant is established through a sacrifice. His death is a sacrifice for a new covenant. A covenant of what? Love. We've talked about that in the past. If you don't know him that way, we'd love to introduce you to him. But dealing with the separation problem is only part of entering the kingdom. The second is submitting to Jesus' lordship. Now you would think, well, that's easy. But I tell you, I was raised in a church, as most of you know, that was an evangelical church, and we were taught that Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord could be separated. And we were taught that we could receive 
Jesus as Savior and get saved and at some later point submit to his lordship or rulership in our life. Now, some of you are looking puzzled at me, but that's exactly what we're taught. What happens is that makes salvation fire insurance. You better do this or you're going to burn in hell. Okay? But how do you get saved? How do you come into the kingdom if you don't submit to the ruler? Kingdom is about rulership. So I was taught that, but then I was reading the Bible and I realized that the word Lord occurs in the New Testament a little over 270 times. The word Savior occurs 26 times. They occur together 13 times. And every time they occur together, it's Lord and Savior. When you understand the kingdom, you can't enter the kingdom without submitting to the king. Jesus' lordship is part of the package of salvation. You can't pray a prayer of Jesus, forgive me for my sin so I don't go to hell without submitting to his lordship. That's why baptism is one of the first things that Jesus commands us to do. What is baptism? It's dying to our old life and is living to a new king. When we understand the kingdom of God, we understand that submitting to Jesus as Lord can't be separated from salvation. It's part of the package. Why? Because we're talking about a whole new kingdom. We're talking about being transferred from the rulership of the world, of which Satan is the ruler, to the kingdom of God. There's no in-between. Let me tell you, you're in one or the other. I can't, you can't say, I can get out of the rulership of Satan, but I won't join the rulership of God. I'm just going to rule myself. I'm not going to be in either. I'm the king. That's the deception that many of us have, that I'm in charge of everything. The problem is, if you're not submitted to the kingdom of God, you're part of the kingdom of darkness. Why? Because the very thing that says I'm in charge of everything is selfishness. So why am I saying this? Because we're going to go through the book of Acts. And we're going to take a look at the values of the kingdom. We're going to take a look at being transformed to the image of his son with a determination. But it starts with that we don't have a divided heart. Kate preached a few weeks back about that very thing. Serving him with a whole heart. See, when we think we're still in control, we have a divided heart. I'm gonna submit to Jesus in some things, but I'm still gonna submit to the world in some things. I like what the world says about this, but I like what God says about this. 
And so I want to actually be in charge. I like the world's concept of money. Uh Uh-oh. But what is the kingdom concept? I like the world's concept of marriage. Why? Because the world's concept is selfishness. Marriage exists for me. Everyone exists for me. I'm the center of the universe. You all exist for me. But you get into the kingdom. It says no. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. What was that? That you love others as I've loved you. Now you lay down your life. Now you say, how can I meet someone else's need? Not how can they meet my need? We need to start again with a renewed commitment and conviction that we're going to be transformed. How will we be different next year than we are now? Simply because we let time go by and we're a year older? Or because we said, I'm going to apply the word of God. I'm going to work with the Holy Spirit. So my challenge to you is over the next few weeks as we do this, I'm going to challenge you quite strongly in a number of areas with things to do, not just things to believe, things to do. And some of you are going to say, well, that's, that's childish. At some point, I'm going to challenge you to write down every day what God speaks to you from his word. You're going to say, well, I don't need to do that. I have a good memory. I'll tell you, I have a better memory. And we still need to. Why? Because it puts value. One of the things that transforms us is the word of God. We're being transformed by the renewal of our mind, but not because we're passive. You think coming to church on Sunday and hearing a message is going to change your life. I'm going to tell you it won't. As much as I put into preparing it, it won't do it. It's part of the word, but you've got six other days I'm going to challenge you to develop a habit this year that every single day you will spend time in the Word. And I'm setting you up because I'm expecting you to commit before I give you the challenge. You know what Lordship is? Someone told me that Lordship of Jesus is like this. He has this contract for our life. He covers it, all of it, except the the part where you sign it. And he says, sign this contract. But I haven't read it. He said, no, you haven't. Are you only going to sign it if it meets your desires? Are you only going to sign it if it makes you comfortable? He says, sign it. Trust me, and then I'll show you what's in it. So I'm setting you up. I want you to commit. Why? Because the Bible says 
Don't be hearers of the word only, but doers. It actually says the other way around. It says be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you think you don't need to do what the Bible says, you're deceived. And a year from now, you'll be exactly the same. Well, not exactly the same. You'll be older. A little bit more wrinkled. A little bit less fit. All those things that time works against us on will take place. Will you be any more useful to the master for the advancement of the kingdom? I don't like this church. (laughs) You get serious, you step on people's toes. Why don't you just tell us something nice that makes us feel good? Because we're about, we're part of the continuation of Acts. It's all about the, the works of Jesus by his spirit through the apostles, the sent ones, which are us. It's about the extending of the kingdom into the world. We haven't taken the whole world yet. We've taken a whole lot of it. But we haven't taken it at all. So the mandate still applies to us. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm quite excited for this series, if you haven't guessed that yet. Yeah, and I haven't preached for a few weeks. Would you bow your head? It's not more spiritual to bow your head. Close your eyes. Just don't want you to be distracted by other people and what they're doing or not doing. See, the Bible tells us that when we hear the word, the cares of the world creep in and choke it. Not just the gospel of the kingdom, but any word. We leave here and we think, oh, I'm going to remember that. I'm gonna, but we get busy with the day's things and tomorrow has other things. If we don't respond right away, we probably never will. So how do I want you to respond today? That you set your heart, your conviction, that you're gonna be more like Jesus. That you're going to be transformed and accept the values of the kingdom rather than the values of the world. I haven't told you what all those are. We will. But that you also say, Lord, I'm yours for the advancement of your kingdom. This year. Not in a passive sense. Not in a, if you hit me over the head and knock me out and put me in a shipping container and send me to another city and make me get up and preach the gospel, I'll do it but Lord, I'll actively be listening to you in every area. Let me just give you a moment to respond to that.
Let me tell you, you're not agreeing to everything I'm going to say over the next few weeks. <laughs> you actually get to hear it first, because I'm not Jesus. <laughs> but there's something in our heart that says, Holy Spirit, transform me this year. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand? Thanks, Deb. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him. If you need someone to pray with you, whether it's for healing or for something that's happening in your life, there'd be some people who'd love to do that. Let me give you a hint. Start reading Acts. You can get a lot of it over the next few weeks. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you that you have redeemed us. And we do have newness in you. Lord, we don't have to be the same. Even tomorrow as we were today. We're actually being transformed. And so we just thank you for that. In your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet someone. If you haven't, don't know them, introduce yourself. Uh, but if you need someone to pray with you, just come here to the front. There'll be some folks who'd love to pray with you.